It's roundtable time again on the podcast, so stay tuned. Mets Musings is an unofficial, independent podcast covering New York's National League Baseball team. It is not affiliated in any way with Major League Baseball or the New York Mets. This is Len and Jeff from Baseball and Barbecue. And the one place to go for New York Mets news, past week game reviews, upcoming series previews, interviews, analysis, opinion, and and what's what's going going down down on the farm. farm. It's It's Mets Musings with Gary Mack. So keep the faith, stay optimistic, and let's go Mets. Mets Musings with Gary Mack. Now it's time for some New York Mets baseball talk. Here's Gary Mack bringing you the latest news and analysis from Mets Nation and the world of baseball on another edition of Mets Musings. Mets Musings. I hope you all had a great week. It's roundtable time again here at Mets Musings on this edition of the podcast and we have the usual suspects lined up and ready to go we've got my former co-host mr barry newman barry how are you this evening i'm good gary how are you and happy new year happy new year to you as well and also joining us is those boys from baseball and barbecue you love them you want to take them home to your mother jeff and len <laughs> Hey, Gary. Hey, Barry. How you doing? Good, guys. Happy New Year to you guys, too. Thank you. Happy New Year. Let's go meet your mother. Let's go meet the mother. <laughs> he cooks a nice brisket. <laughs> yes, yes, he does. Yes. Nice and lean. Well, <laughs> well guys, um, we actually have some uh, news. We have some breaking news. Len Aberman is reporting tonight that Mr. Met is having an affair on Mrs. Met, and supposedly this video. More to come. Yeah. Oh, that that's how you get the listeners, Gary. You 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 send out, you put out some kind of you know vicious rumor, and then you'll see everybody will just no, I can't believe it. <laughs> but is it with Noah Syndergaard? Oh, Noah Syndergaard, right. If I may weigh in, if if Mr. Met is having an affair on Mrs. Met, wouldn't that make it a threesome? (laughs) Oh, oh, whoa! (laughs) That'll knock the that'll knock the Houston Astros cheating scandal right off the back page. (laughs) Well, you know there was there was a story some years ago that a number of mascots, other mascots were uh, cavorting with Mrs. Met, so maybe this is a retaliation on that. Yeah, like the Philly Fanatic. Yeah. Right? And Slugger. I, and uh, I, I had my sights on Mrs. Met for a while. <laughs> and, and Quacker, the Long Island. Oh, wait. I did not know that, Jeff. That did not know that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get, uh, let's get serious, serious, serious. Um <laughs> The Mets, All right, let's do it. The Mets named a manager, and uh, he is the second Latin manager named by the New York Mets because they are going to count Carlos Beltran as a manager. He'll go into record books 
uh, with a zero and zero record. <laughs> really? I, Are they really? That's that's really what they're doing? Yeah, that's what I read. That he is going to be uh, the the. There was a big question: was he was he the twenty second uh, or twenty third manager? And they say the twenty third manager because. Carlos Beltran was the twenty second, and uh, therefore that would make him the second uh, Latin American manager of the New York Mets. So Luis Rojas named as the manager of the Mets, and I guess my first question out there is: um, he wasn't ready in November, but he's ready now. Any thoughts on this choice? Uh, who wants to go first? Because I got a lot of thoughts here. All right, I'm going to go first. But I just so if if I but I wanted to go back to if Beltron goes in the Hall of Fame, if he gets in the Hall of Fame, are they going to put on his plaque, uh, one-time manager of the Mets? Um, well, <laughs> by mean, the, if, by the time he gets in the Hall of Fame, he may be the manager of the Mets. Who knows? I I I will I will chime in. Um, they had. Probably in this situation, they had no choice because they needed somebody who was familiar with the players. I actually think Louis Rojas is probably a better choice than Beltran was because at least he, he's been managing in the minor leagues. He has experience. So I didn't love the choice of Beltran. I don't love this choice, but I love this choice more. I, what, I want to say one thing, one more thing before you guys all chime in. The Mets are a team that's built for now, right? right? If you have a horse, if you have a racehorse, and you think this racehorse is going to win you the Triple Crown or, you know, one of the major races, or you have a race car, and that race car is prime, it's primo, it's got everything great about it, are you going to then get some driver or jockey who's never raced, who's never ridden a horse, and put them in charge? If the Mets think that this team is ready to win it all, that they're just going to take someone who, and I'm especially with Beltran, who never managed and put them in charge. That, to me, that's almost the equivalent. But again, didn't like Beltran as the manager. Rojas a little better, but you guys take it away. Jeff. Okay. Uh, sit back, it's going to be a long one. So, <laughs> Louis Rojas is... My my choice uh, would have been Buck Showalter. And I have several reasons for that. Uh, Showalter, he, he, even though he never won a World Series, he wins. He took the... you know, But the year after he leaves the team, the team goes to the World Series. Happened in 95 with the Yankees. He left. Yankees win the Series in 96. He went to Arizona, left in 2000, 2001, Diamondbacks are the World Series champion. He went to Texas in 2000, he left in 2009, 2010, they're in the World Series. So I figure if Buck was the manager, the year he, after he leaves, Mets are in the World Series. <laughs> so, but he took the same path as Buck Schultz. He managed the minors, he knows the system well, he promoted to, as a major league manager around the same age. So that, that's all part of it. Let's say Walter did not start his managing career in the age of Twitter and Facebook and social media. That's 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 pretty uh, that's pretty daunting. But my question is: Will he be the manager, or will he be the puppet of the front office Adelaide team and and, and Brody Van Wagenen? Will he be told, for example, 
if Max had 67 pitches facing a right-handed batter with a runner on second, he must be removed from the game. Is he going to be that type of manager taking orders from the front office? Who knows? But he does have a baseball pedigree. His dad is Felipe Alou, a pretty good manager. Not terrible for, for Rojas to pick up the phone or text his dad in between innings uh, advice, oh, what we do in this situation. Kind of like a, a second uh, bench coach, if you will. But like I said, my choice would have been uh, Buck Walter. Barry? Barry? Okay, I guess I'm going to address a little bit of both Jeff and Lynn's comments. And Jeff, you, you kind of answered your own question. And Lynn, to answer your question, the answer is really the same to both. Brody Van Wagenen was never going to hire an experienced guy because he wants someone he can control. And I would have been fine with Showalter. Of course, I wanted Joe Girardi, as a lot of Mets fans, uh, not including one, but this was just nev- never going to happen. And I don't think Showalter or Dusty Baker or Clint Hurdle or John Gibbons or any other successful, experienced manager's name ever got linked to the Mets. So what we're left with is an inexperienced manager who uh, he can control. And given the choices with such little time between now and spring training, Luis Rojas probably is the choice that makes the most sense. He knows the players. He has extensive experience managing in the Mets farm system. So this is what this is what we're stuck with. These are extraordinary, extenuating circumstances, and uh, the Mets were kind of left with a very little choice. I guess it really came down to Rojas versus Hensley Mullen, and to me, that's just a coin flip. Neither one is would be an exciting choice. You're talking about either a manager only on the minor league level versus an experienced major league bench coach for two or three world championship teams. So given that choice, Rojas probably is the one that is, uh, I guess you'd have to say he, he's, he's the least bad choice. Well, Barry, I will say that he's been in the organization 14 years. Uh, so since he was 24 years old, and has done everything for the organization. And he grew up, you know, around his dad in Montreal, you know, around Pedro and those guys and out to San Francisco. You know, so he, he knows the game. It is, it is, that's definitely a plus in his favor. Yeah, let me say he's the, he's the safest choice. That's kind of what I meant to say before, but I couldn't quite get the words out because he has this extensive managing experience. And he's managed a lot of plays that – currently are on the Mets Major League roster. Well, I would agree with you guys that he was the logical choice uh, given the fact that he was in the organization and given the fact that the circumstances. However, had I'm not thrilled with the, the choice. It's a yawn as far as I'm concerned. Um, I thought Beltron brought a certain cachet, even though he didn't have the experience. He brought a certain cachet to this team, uh, gave them some excitement, gave the fan base some excitement, and now that's lost. And, and 
you know, this guy was not even in the – he was the top fourth pick. Uh, I know they were high on him, but they didn't think he was ready. Um, everybody said that uh, Eduardo Perez was the second choice. Derek Shelton was up there. And then Rojas. So we're going to the fourth choice uh, for for the team. But the most logical because he does know the personnel already. Um Again, I don't know what made him ready now that he wasn't ready in November, that they couldn't have named him in November. But as far as Beltron goes, if I was the owner of the Mets, I would have stuck with him. I would have tried to work him through. I would have had him go to the press and clear, you know, clear this up or whatever and let him say what involvement he had before the season started. I I don't like Marab Manfred, so I'm I'm seeing conspiracy all over this. I believe that it was a setup to get him fired because Manfred mentioned Beltron as the only player in that report. The report says a group of players, including Carlos Beltron. Why did Beltron's name come out? Why didn't it say you know, Carlos Beltran, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman didn't say any of that. It just said Carlos Beltran. And I, to my mind, it was a setup. And the Mets had no no choice, I guess, uh, to make this move. But I'm not excited about Luis Rojas. And, uh, but we'll see how he does. My question is, Who's the next manager next year when he fails and and the uh, general manager goes, or in a couple of years when Cohen gets here? Let's take a break and come back with the answer to that question right after this. Hi, I'm Ron Swoboda of the '69 New York Mets, and you're listening to Mets Musings with Gary Mack. Gary, why do you think uh, Manfred has it out for Beltran and the Mets? I don't know if he's necessarily got it out for Beltron and the, not the Mets, but I think he had it out for Beltron because he couldn't. If if Beltron had um, something to do with this on whatever level, they only said something about he wanted a bigger monitor near the dugout or something. If 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 that's what he's taking, and he said he wasn't going to suspend any players, so he couldn't suspend Beltron. He could suspend Cora, which he has not, interestingly enough, because Cora was fired. Now, if if Cora doesn't get suspended, that's going to tell you something because he lost his job. So Manfred wanted him out as well. If well, the, I'm think, I, I agree with you, Gary. I think um, Manfred, uh, since he couldn't suspend any players because he didn't want to take on the players' union, but but Manf- but uh, Beltran not part of the union anymore, and he couldn't suspend him because it wouldn't be fair to the other players. So we had the Mets do the, do his dirty work. Exactly, and and that's why the name comes out in the report. They knew him being in New York, especially the press is going to salivate over this, and. The pressure was going to be immense, but I would have tried to clear it up before spring training. I would have done some, you know, let's face it. The Mets do not have the best public relations department in the world. I mean, they're they're pretty horrible, really. I mean, they don't know how to clean up messes. They just know how to create messes. 
you know, um, and and even with this fan fest thing, I mean, you know, they've got tons of examples, and this is what they chose to do: two hour segments. It's crazy. But anyways, that's another story. Um, to me, well, I, guys, let me just say that what the Mets should have done. First of all, they caved. They they shouldn't have caved. Right. Uh, what they should have done is held, hold one press conference take all the questions and spring training or whenever they held it, be it two hours, three hours, get it over with, they'll try and answer all the questions, and that's it. And say, I'm not talking about it anymore. But they came. And, and, exactly. Well, that's that. Okay, let me weigh in on this a little bit because I'm not going to dismiss the possibility that there is or there was a conspiracy by the commissioner who I have no love for either to get Beltran out of there. But what I do remember, back as far as 2017, when these rumors started, is that Beltran, along with a core, were the ringleaders in this, and basically maybe even orchestrated this whole thing. And I also remember at the time that watching the playoffs against the Yankees, and I had no problem with it at the time because I was rooting for the Astros to beat the Yankees. I remember the whistling during all the home playoff games the Astros played, but didn't think to connect any of this, and why would I, why would anyone else, connecting it to whistling or garbage cans being banged only on off-speed pitches when Houston was batting. But the other thing, and the, the argument for letting Beltran go, I think, and again, it has a lot to do with what Gary mentioned about the Mets Public Relations Department, had the Mets, well, now it's not going to happen, but if the Mets had retained Beltran, gone on the road this season, this would have hounded them at every stop they made. And when you get into August and September, playing teams, we only make one visit to those cities, it could really have had an effect on their season when hopefully they would be making a push for the playoffs. And the Mets do have several games against teams in August and September where they're visiting those cities for the one and only time. And one other thing, I'm surprised that the backlash against the Beltran firing, when he has no managing experience, when the man they did end up hiring, Luis Rojas, has extensive managing experience in the Mets farm system. And given the choices, the only issue I have with Rojas is maybe he might just be a little too young and it would have been better for him to be, and I think this might have been the plan anyway, to groom him for the manager's role at, at some point later on. Well, that's a, it's a good point. Uh, but, I, I, you know, they should have sure showed the guts and done it anyway, and stuck by their player because it doesn't look good. It doesn't look, you know. It, it's not like then if he's got that part, bigger part to play, then then tell us that. Then where is it in the report? Tell us what exactly, you know, he did. You, you're making an accusation against the guy, but you're not giving us any proof. I mean, that's not like saying he, he was a mass murderer, but we don't have any bodies. I mean, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. And 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 it should, you know, Manfred needs to be called on these things, but nobody seems to be touching this guy. I mean, he single-handedly, in my name, he's, he's taken down this game. 
with his stupid ideas, with these runners on second base and extra inning games, and now robot umpires. And uh, there's two things taking down this game right now. And that is one is analytics, and the other is MLB itself. I, I, it's just they're killing the goose that laid the golden egg and then not even realizing it. Yeah, Manfred's Manfred's terrible. uh, Listen, I don't think the Mets... Let's forget about Manfred, okay, and conspiracy theorists and all that stuff. But that's fun. They didn't need the distraction. So I I don't... And they they probably realize that, you know, how much do they want to stand by their choice? Maybe they didn't... You know, after a while, they were like, is it really worth it? You know... I don't know that I, Rojas may, may be a better manager, so they didn't need the distraction. Well, maybe they, it's, they nipped it in the bud. So maybe it's time it, that they get like the '86 Mets and just tell the press go f off and do whatever they want to <laughs> do and uh, show some backbone because this everybody's trying to be politically correct and and it makes them look like idiots. All right, and and going along with this, speaking of idiots, let's talk about the front office. Um, <laughs> there was a report out that said the. Uh, there was a lot of paralysis before they hired Rojas because they didn't really know what to do because everybody's afraid of keeping their jobs when Steve Cohen gets in. Um, any thoughts on that at all? Well, Brody Van Wagenen is, you know what? I know a lot. there's a lot of controversy around him. He came in as an agent. We all heard the stories. We know the bad trade from last year. We all get all that. I want to say this, though. Uh, this is the second year. This is his first managerial hire. Well, no, it's second managerial hiring, but <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm still in the uh, position that the jury's still out on him. I mean, let's, let's, the best GM the Mets ever had was, I would say, Frank Cashin. I think we would all agree with that. You know, uh, man. You know what Frank Cashin was before his GM? A newspaper writer. He was a newspaper writer, and then he worked for a racetrack as a, in public relations, and then got to the Orioles as a uh, as a GM. So, you know, it's not unheard of that you know, some guy comes outside the organization and, and becomes GM. So, I, I think the jury's still on Brody. Having said that, this whole analytical department is just ridiculous, and it's, you're right. There's too many. Chef in the kitchen. What's Omar thinking? What is uh, Jeffy thinking? Um, you know, they can't decide. You know, someone's got to take the reins. It's the GM's job. And this is what I, I appreciate all your input. This is what we're going to do. And if you don't like it, then, then it's off. Yep. And and what scares me about Rojas is he was the delivery boy of the data from the front office to the dugout. So, um is that what his job's going to be? He's just going to pick up the data and, and deliver it to himself in the dugout now? Um, I don't know. I, I I don't know. Barry, any thoughts? I want to kind of read the first two paragraphs from an article that uh, Mike Vaccaro wrote in last Friday's post. And here here goes. Brody Van Wagenen did a, fast, a fascinating thing Thursday afternoon. During a conference call that was supposed to explain why he and the owners of the Mets decided to fire 
the manager. The most eloquent and compelling testimony he offered instead was why, for the sake of the franchise, Steve Cohen has to arrive as soon as possible to eradicate the mess of the reckless likes of the sitting general manager. Hmm. Yeah. Come on, Uncle Steven. (laughs) (laughs) You know what, guys? I think that the Mets, they're getting a little too much grief. First of all, there's three teams that don't have a manager right now that need one. The Mets made the first choice. The Mets, it it took them a week. They got a manager, and the Red Sox still don't have a manager. The Astros still don't have a manager or a GM. They they made a decision. It was pretty quick. I, I don't know. I think. Well, they we had, may be reading too much into it. They so. had to make a choice because they got Fan Fest this weekend, and they did not want to go in that without a manager. But, but guys, how can Brody not even? Well, let's say not even. You know, he was so uh, so e- eager to tell us ad nauseum how extensive their vetting process on all this, these candidates was, and then say that they never discussed the. Uh, the sign-stealing scandal with Beltron until about a week and a half ago. And it's funny that Len mentioned the Red Sox because I believe they have hired, and I'm not sure what role he's in, and I can't pronounce his first name, but you know the guy I mean, you know, the guy with the funny first name, Heimblom. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's close enough. Yeah. Now he's is he the Red Sox general manager now, or is he mm-hmm. an assistant? No, he's no, he's, he's the man. Yeah. He he is the GM. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, if the Mets had hired Bloom, you can bet your bottom dollar that Carlos Beltran would never even seen the light of day as being a candidate to be their manager. Oh, I disagree with that, and I'll tell you why. They hired okay. him before that report came out in the Athletic. It was just a rumor, so I'm sure they they talked to him. They asked him something, but nobody thought it was going to be any big deal at all because nobody knew about it. And then the Athletic came out. I believe they hired him on the third, was it? And the report came out on the twelfth. So he had already been hired and announced Beltron uh, before that report came out from the the initial report from the Atlantic, not the MLB investigation, the Atlantic report. So, I, you know, they may have very well vetted him uh, extensively, and I can't believe I'm sticking up for Brody Van Wagenen, but he could have he vetted him extensively, and then this article came out. And, and again, you know, if the... MLB just kept it as including a group of players and Cora, then and didn't mention Beltron. Beltron probably would still be a manager of the Mets. So yeah, no, I agree. That, that's true. That is true. Yeah. All right. Well, we don't want to. You know, we're beating a dead horse here now. Rojas is in. Beltron's out until the next round, and uh, Marcus Stroman. Made uh, some comments ripping the Astros for ruining the integrity of the game. I think somebody needs to, uh, you know, tell Marcus Stroman to don't tweet as much, Marcus. It's it's not, uh, you know, people are doing it. We don't know what other teams have cheated. <clears throat> uh, apparently, the Astros said there were at least eight other teams that they knew of 
that we we're, we're using the same kind of with different kinds of electoral technology to cheat at these games. It's a very confusing thing. Um, don't shoot your mouth off without without you know knowing all the facts. That's right. all I'm saying. Agreed. People in glass houses should not yeah. throw stones. And and I mean you know MLB has got to look at this whole scandal thing and uh, and. You know, in a way, in a crazy way, they've created this themselves. They're the ones that put the replay rooms in and said, you know what, you got to shut that down. Or let everybody cheat. That's this. Give everybody a monitor and let them try you know, to figure it, it, out. Gotta get rid of the, gotta get rid of the replay rules. It's ridiculous. It's taking too much time. It's supposed to correct the egregious errors. You know, not, not my, my, you know, minute, you know, uh, errors, whatever. Use it for home runs and be done with it. Yeah. But now they have it in, in, in back of the dugout. You know what? Take it out of there, put it in the press box, and have one guy there to bring down to the uh, dugout instead of guys going back and forth. Oh, let me see this replay. Well, I'm the least technical of the four of us, and I will admit that instant replay does need some tweaking, but I don't want to eliminate it entirely because the idea is to get the call right. And I... As far as the uh, technology during the game, I think Ron Darling, who we all respect a great deal, said that between the start and the finish of the game, Major League Baseball should just be a technology-free zone, what you do before and after the game, and things you might pick up during the game. Like, for example, on your last Mets Musings, Gary, you mentioned how Rusty Staub was Tremendous at being able to steal signs, whether it's maybe the pitcher held his glove lower if he was throwing a change up as opposed to a fastball, mm-hmm. or or whatever whatever kind of things they picked up without using technology. That stuff's been fine. That's been going on forever. But to use the technology, it, 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 it's just it, it's just it's just no good. I would not be in favor of giving it to everybody. I'd rather. Like Ronnie said, just take it out entirely while the game is going on. And whatever before or after the game, before the game starts or after the game is over, it's, it's fine. But here's the thing. I, look, I'm okay with that. But these guys strike out and they run under, right into the clubhouse to watch their time at bat to see, you know, did they step here? Did they do this? What did he throw? And how come that's legal? That's not that, illegal. That would have to go, too. In Ronnie's analysis, that, that that all would have to go. As long as it's during the game, that technology would have to be eliminated as well. At least I'm okay. assuming that's what he yeah. meant. But it's legal now. And yet what the Astros did is not legal. It's a very gray area now. I know they want to make it seem like it's black and white. It's not. It's very gray, because there are people that think if a coach, uh, you know, like a Rusty Staub, like you said, is steal, you know, figures out the signs and steals the signs, they there are people that think that's cheating, that you shouldn't be able to do that even. So. Either, either you, <clears throat> it's you should do all or nothing. Then, then open it up to everybody. <coughs> Excuse me, 
Uh, football does it. They got coaches up in the air. They got cameras there. They all got the uh, uh, tablets uh, on the bench. They're looking at stuff all the time. Uh, you know, either either shut it down. You can't have the games playing in a clubhouse then or nothing. You got to get rid of the replay room. That's a, that's a big key. But they'll say, well, it's not just it's it's a video room for uh you know future events. My my problem is before the game and after the game, you can watch all the video you want. You can try to steal their signs from the night before or the last time that pitcher the particular pitcher pitched. But if you do it in real time, it's it's illegal. It it makes no sense at this point. Yep. Anybody else? Absolutely. <laughs> no, 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 you, you're right. I mean, you know, I've been thinking about this. You know, when you sometimes you use, use your phone and you can't get the internet or something, it's like kind of jammed. Why can't they like jam the signal during the game? You know, like you said, make it technology free. That's that's one thing that they can do. Well, I think that's what uh, they're uh, going to have to. Yeah, but, but here's the thing: move the um, the video up up to the press box and have. A coach or a, a player, or not player, a, a front office guy. Hey, look, check out this video. Check out this well, uh, replay or something. That, that, yeah, that's fine. That's fine for the replays. But don't forget, yeah. every team has their own video now, and they're videotaping the game from all angles, so the players can go in and and you know, watch the video to see what they did or see where they're playing right. or this, that, and the I, other I thing. I agree with you. It should be before or after, not during the game. And yeah, I have no problem eliminating replay, but I still think if you could do it with the naked eye, keep the challenge option in the game because if a manager or, or a first base coach on a safe out call at first base sees something that he thinks is a mistake, he should be able to have the manager challenge the call. The bottom line is, is to get the call right. If it has to be done without technologies to eliminate all this other garbage, so be it. Well, no, yeah, but like Jeff said, move the guy. The, the only video of that should be going to the guy in the press box, and he's got to call down and tell them, okay, go ahead. And that's right. it. It shouldn't be. Yeah, I agree. It shouldn't be that the manager or somebody on the team gets a call from someone who's who's watching the the play from above or whatever, and calls down to them and says, "You should challenge this." If it you could be that, that that would that would be fine. What? Okay. If you if you could regulate that kind of technology right. again, yeah, this is just. To get the call right, I, I, that 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 would be okay with me. And and why do the umpires have to go behind home plate? They're not looking at a monitor like in football. They're just getting on headsets, calling somebody in New York. They could do that standing in place. Get, just give them an earpiece. Give them an earpiece. I mean, you can put a thing in your ear and talk on your cell phone. You, for Pete's sake, give them an Apple Watch. They can talk to them. I mean, there's got to be a better communication system than the way they got it set up. And the funny yeah. thing is, it's really not that funny, but we see a lot of these replays. The umpires go underneath the stands. They don't see them for three, four minutes. 
they come out, they still get the call wrong. Yeah. So a lot of it is the technology, but a lot of it has to do with just plain old bad umpire, bad right. umpire. Like I said before, the replay system definitely has to get tweaked. Definitely. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's move on. Yuenis uh, Cespedes working out. Any th- and, and there are no wild boars in the area. <laughs> they, they've eliminated all wild boars. <laughs> and no wild boars. Oh, and this report, Luis Rojas just went up a flight of stairs and did not pull a muscle like his brother, Moise <laughs> Salou. So that's good news. <laughs> It's all good on the injury front. Uh, Yoannis Cespedes, they're uh, talking about he's working out, and at the same time they're trying to move him and Jed Lowry. Yeah, there's, there's two candidates for trade that everybody in baseball wants. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I, I think Yoannis has a lot to prove, and he ha- now he has the incentive to do it. Uh, that can only be a, a good thing, I think. I think he might have a – if he can get on the field – the Mets win when he's on the field. Yep. So if he can get on the field and stay there, they're going to have a good year. Agreed. Can he stay there? That's the big question. And if he's working out and he has incentive to get another $20 million because of uh, his contract situation, that'd be great. Barry? Anything from Yoannis Cespedes, in my opinion, will be a bonus this year. you got to remember, he had, he's basically not played – the two full seasons, he's 34 years old now, and it would be wonderful if we could get the Elena Cespedes from 2015 and 2016, but I, I, I really doubt as motivated as, as he will be by being on the last year of a now very much watered-down contract, I, I, mean, I, hope, I, I hopefully he will have a great season for the Mets. But I have my doubts. Also, I have my doubts that he can really stay healthy. But it would sure be nice if we could get that player back. But the Mets uh, have other issues that are much more significant. Mostly that bullpen, because with all the talk, all the rhetoric, to me it really comes down to a couple of players. And mostly... uh, Edwin Diaz has to at least be close to his 2018 performance. Otherwise, the Mets will have to look at somebody else to be their closer. They were supposed to have improved their bullpen significantly last year. They've only added one piece this year, a pretty good piece, again, if he's healthy, in uh, Dylan Batances. But it would be nice to have that old Cespedes back. I just don't think it's going to happen. But, again, a good bullpen will should put the Mets on the precipice of the playoffs, if not in if not in them. Right, let me uh, – I want to address what Barry said about uh, Jonas missing a couple of years due to injury, and that's all true. But I think he can come back because in the past, players have missed seasons, more than one season, more than one, two seasons. Uh, I know this is not the same thing, but they were, you know, during World War II, they were, you had Ted Williams missing several seasons. Ooh, Hank Greenberg, uh, Bob Lemon, they missed major portions of, of their uh, seasons. And they missed complete seasons and came back just as good. So I'm hoping 
well, you know, obviously, you want to come back from an injury. I, I hope he can ha- have a good season. And, well, and I would be wrong like, about this. Zach, add Zach Wheeler to that as well. He came back after missing two full seasons and pitched very well. So, and I'm going to make a prediction. I say Yoannis Cespedes. Not only does he come back, but he gets comeback player of the year. Ooh. That's how good he's going to have a season. Whoa, that'd be great for the that's, that's, that. That's that what I predict. <laughs> You heard it here first on Mets Musing. <laughs> Just don't, if he has a great year, don't re-sign him to a contract at this point. No, no that, then he goes to the American League, to the, uh, uh, to, to the American League team. Okay. Um, Mets listed over under 86 and a half. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Now, now let's um, keep in mind also that we're we're not we're still in January. We're not even the spring training yet, and things could change. The lineup could change. They're apparently talking to the Pirates about Starling Marte. Uh, they could decide to pick up another relief pitcher. We don't know, but as it's the the roster is constituted right now, and the uh, pundits have listed them as uh, eighty six and a half. Uh, is that a good number? Are you over? Are you under? I say over. I think they're going to win a little more than that. I guess I, I've got the uh, I'm the optimistic person here, and I think they are going to win. <laughs> uh, I'm going to put them at 91 wins. Ooh. Wow, Jeff. What, what's the what, what's the over uh, what's the over number? Well, it's 86 and a half. 86 and a half. So last year they in 2019 they ended at 86 and 76. And that's with Louis uh, with uh, uh, with Diaz, Edwin Diaz, having a, a terrible season, even though he had 25 saves. If he can have a decent season, they're going over 90. And yeah, then, I'll, go, I'll go a little over because Washington significantly weakened with the loss of Anthony Rendon. So they're going to be a, a little bit down this year. They're still going to be a good team. Uh, I'd say high 80s, and Diaz has to be better than he was last year. Otherwise, he won't be the closer. The Mets, at least on paper, do seem to have improved their bullpen. But, of course, their starting pitching has been weakened by the loss of Zach Wheeler. And another big key to this team is that Noah Syndergaard has to pitch like a co-ace or at least a number two starter instead of just talking like one. And Batansis is going to have a good year. I, I, I think he's going to have a good year. So, uh, And I think between him and Diaz, that's going to really bolster the well, pen. Again, uh, Batansis does have a great contract mm-hmm. uh, because he does, if he does well, his, his, his player option I think is only $6 million and we know he's just going to uh, decline that. So he has incentive to do, to do well. And I agree with Barry. Noah has to have a, a good year. He's got to really step up and, and be a, you know, a, a, an ace-like. You know, be Robin to uh, the Grom's Batman. Uh, I, I think the loss of Wheeler, you know, Len was right. He, he knew he was going to get more than $18 million. Uh, both, uh, I think uh, Gary and I uh, disagree with Len, but Len uh, proved to be right. Oh, wow. I, Thank you. I, I don't think he. I don't think he deserved what he got. 
uh, especially when when looking what Baumgartner got, and Baumgartner a proven uh, winner, a uh, World Series champion, and only a few months older than Wheeler, but Wheeler somehow got the Phillies to pay him a lot of money. Wish him uh, not so much luck in, in Philly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I, are we really scared of, of Wheeler? Because there's going to be games. He's going to be out by the fourth inning. We know this. Uh, so I think the Phillies really overpaid uh, for that. The Braves got Ozuna. Uh, yeah, right. yeah, they got Ozuna. So they're going to be uh, pretty good. You know, the loss of Rendon for Washington was great news for the Mets because he was a Mets killer. And John, and Donaldson's also out of the division. I was just so going to say another good news for the Mets. But remember, the Phillies also uh, got a a PD. No, uh, their manager. Uh, oh, uh, Girardi. Girardi is their manager. So still, that, still got to execute part. on the field. Yeah, well, they've got some good players. The Phillies have been stockpiling. They've got some good players. You know, I'm looking at uh, Baseball Reference right now. Uh, and looking up Noah Syndergaard's statistics, and they actually have a projection what he's going to do in 2020. In, you know, they, they predict him at age 27 that he's going to go 10 and seven with a uh, 4.03 ERA. That sucks. That's a, that's a bad year. <laughs> I mean, where did they come up with yeah, the projection? That, I don't know how they come up with that, but that's if he does that, that's that's not a good year. And that's no, pro- that's brought to you by the same idiots uh, that go on MLB now with Brian Kenny, the chief idiot, and, sport, and give off all of these stupid, asinine data of warps and warps and dupes and dopes and droops and drops and God knows what they're talking about on that show. And... Uh, Telling me that Lou Whitaker is a better ball player than than a Joe Morgan or a Pete Rose, uh, you know what? Come on, this is ridiculous. This analysis and all of this crap. You know what's slowing up a game? All of this analytics with these. They got to move the guys here. They got to move them there. They got to show you the launch velocity and that stupid strike box on the screen. You know, I just want to see what the score is. You can't. Sometimes it's hard to find. It's hard to find a yeah. game with all that crap on the screen. The strike box isn't exactly the same for uh, Aaron Judge and the Jose Altuve. I tell you what. I tell you that. Uh, it's it's it's. <laughs> all right. Now that I'm good and riled up, let's get to the final topic: the Hall of Fame vote. How ecstatic. I was I was in extreme happiness that Derek Jeter got in. Not that he got in, but that he didn't get in unanimously. Yes. <laughs> it pleased me to no end, even though somebody called me a schmuck on Facebook. Hey, that's okay. As I said to him, lighten up. It's all in good fun. I, this is the best thing. I mean, uh, unfortunately, Rivera got in unanimously last year when he did not deserve to get unanimous vote. And, of course, Yankee fans all think that that means he's the greatest player of all time. Oh, God. Isn't that stupid? <laughs> he's better than Ruth. He's better than Williams. He's better than Cobb. He's better than them all. Yes. The and, guy pitches one inning every other day. And, oh, he's the best of all time, best baseball player of all time. And, please. excuse me, he's a failed starter. He couldn't yeah. cut it as a starter, so they moved him into one inning of relief. Yes, was he good? Um, but, you know, if you look back, he was very reliable. But, 
you know, there were a couple of big games there where he, he tossed up the cookies there. So, you know, so we got Mr. Perfect going, or Mr. Almost Near Perfect going in this year, and probably the worst shortstop in the history of baseball to go into the Hall of Fame. Uh, vastly overrated. Uh, oh. You know. Gary, <laughs> Gary, uh, Gary. And, and Lynn, now Lynn, Lynn. he's... He was, the, he was the second best shortstop on the Yankees. Get yeah, there. he wasn't the best shortstop on his own team. All right. <laughs> Go ahead, Lynn. I'm sorry. Gary, I, I... Listen, I'm not... I don't agree with you. Okay, well, that's fine. Don't agree with you. Well, that makes for right. good conversation. <laughs> yes, exactly. I, 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 let me give you my opinion. First of all, Hall of Fame voting. What I I I can't do anything about. Well, I can't do anything about it now. But what was in the past, and the people that voted because they were idiots and didn't vote in players because it was their first year, and and then. Uh, they didn't feel they should go in on their first year. That was idiocy. Okay. And the fact that then you had people that said, well, if they didn't go in, like with Seaver, okay. Seaver should have been unanimous. But so here's, here's my feeling on the Hall of Fame. When you get your ballot, you have, you can vote up to 10 people. Now, if the guy is a Hall of Famer, he's a Hall of Famer. I don't, it's not he's a fifth year ballot Hall of Famer or a second year. If you don't have 10 players on your ballot that you think are better and you think this guy is a Hall of Famer, that he's a Hall of Famer. Not in his 10th year, he's a Hall of Famer. His stats don't change. A Hall of Famer is a Hall of Famer. That's it. So to me, if Derek Jeter is a Hall of Famer. I don't care if it's unanimous, not unanimous. I vote him in. I vote the guy. Larry Walker, to me, was a Hall of Famer in his first year of eligibility. He shouldn't have to wait for his 10th year. He is a Hall of Famer. What happened in the past was stupid. But to keep doing that, it's just stupid. If the guy is a Hall of Famer, that's it. So that's, that's my opinion. So the fact that Jeter wasn't unanimous because one person didn't vote for him, why? Why didn't that one person vote for him? A couple of because reasons. Really think now. As far as you're saying with Jeter, Jeter, he's got the six most hits in baseball. Okay? Jeter, he was on five World Series winning teams, and he went to the World Series more than that. I think okay. I, let me just let me just uh, interrupt my friend here. <laughs> I think Jeter also gets a big boost by being in New York. I mean, if he's in uh, if he's in Cincinnati, no one's giving him the accolade. Yes, but the thing is, he for twenty years, to, so he played under the pressure of New York for twenty years at shortstop, incredibly well for the Yankees. There's a lot of pressure there, so maybe. Yeah, maybe if he's somewhere else, maybe he doesn't win those all the World Series. But there's something about playing for 20 years in New York, playing consistent baseball. I, I think that, that he's not given enough credit for that. But if he played in another city, would he be a Hall of Famer? Would his yes. numbers stack yes, up? He would. I don't think if so. He has these stats, 
he would be, but not he would not be a first year Hall of Famer. Let me throw my two cents in about Jeter because I'm pretty much on board with what with what Len said. If you're a Hall of Famer in your first year, you're a Hall of Famer in your tenth year. And in fact, Larry Walker in the mid 2010s was getting 10 to 15 percent of the vote. And then in 2020, he gets into the Hall of Fame. That, that, that's ridiculous. And it's going to happen again because of this new term, which the guy will probably go right with war and analytics. Strategic voting. And you can see this from a mile away. The couple of guys that are moving up the charts, the Scott Rollins, the Omar Vizquel's of the world, whose numbers are increasing, they're still pretty much new on the ballot. They're going to get in. It may take them a few years, but you, you can see that the numbers trending upward for both of them. They're most likely going to get in. And in the next few years, the Hall of Fame candidates are, are not very good. I don't think one guy on next year's ballot that's never been on it before is getting in. I think the best player on the ballot next year is Tory Hunter. Nice player, very good player, not a Hall of Famer. And I'll take it one step further with war, because I did a little research on war earlier today. And last year, I remember when we did our roundtable, I compared two players, one not in the Hall of Fame, Carlos Delgado, versus one player that got in on the first ballot, Willie Sargell. And their stats, offensively at least, are almost identical. So this year, I changed it up a little bit, and I looked for two players with similar hitting stats, but very different wars. And those two players were Harold Baines, who I think none of us feel as a Hall of Fame. Yeah, I'm kind of like a Tory Hunter, very good player, versus Al Kaline, who was clearly a first ballot Hall of Famer and a great player mm-hmm. who made the Hall of Fame, like I said, on his first try. Well, their offensive statistics for their career are also almost identical. But like Gary, like you say often, the eye test tells you Kaline was clearly a Hall of Fame player. Baines wasn't. And when I looked at Kaline's war, it was almost double what Baines was. So the point is that war takes defense into account a great deal. And finally, my feeling on Derek Jeter, who now, like you said, will be thought of forever as Mr. Almost Perfect whether he gets 100% of the vote, whether he gets 99% of the vote, who cares? They're making so much out of nothing. He's a Hall of Famer. is well-deserved, maybe a little bit overrated defensively. And like you guys said, he was not the best shortstop on his own team when A-Rod got there. And he was the consummate team player when A-Rod got there. It should have been Jeter that had moved to third base instead of A-Rod. And finally, by Gary's standards, nobody would ever get 100% of the vote. Of the vote. Because if Babe Ruth doesn't get 100% Nobody of it, gets how, it. How can anybody? Exactly. I, I think one guy should just put in an empty ballot every year. They should rotate it so nobody gets in at 100%. But now, it, if let, let me ask you... Let me ask you a question. Uh, if, as you say, if you're a Hall of Famer, you're a Hall of Famer, you go in, right? Yeah. 
then using that idea, why don't they just eliminate everybody after the first year? If you don't get in, you're out. You you can't no no ten years on a ballot. No. Well, they reduced no, it from fifteen. Yeah. To 10. But no veterans committee. Let's not do any of that stuff. Let's just say if you're you're on the ballot one year when you your first year, if you're not a Hall of Famer, you're not a Hall of Famer. Huh? You know, well, I have no problem with that. It's not, it's not a bad thing because then, then you would get the guys who would say, "Oh, I've got to vote for him this year because there is no next year." So, because you've got people who are intentionally left off. What about the, what about the people that vote for someone last year, but now this year they don't vote for them? Yeah, we we've, we've seen well, a couple that's of them. Screwy too. What the hell did they did they lose? Did they did they lose wins like Kurt Schilling? No, he's but, on a ballot last year, but this year he's not a Hall of Famer. But last year he was. I, I mean, did, did he get less wins? Did he get less strikeouts? It doesn't make any sense. Once you vote for somebody for the Hall of Fame, that, that should be someone you think should be a Hall of Famer. But if you add five players, ten players every year to the ballot. Right. And you only can vote for ten, then he might fall down on your list more. Yes, if if that yes, and if that ballot has ten people checked off, right. that's fine. But there were ballots that took people off yeah. that only had like five people checked. Well, off. that's okay. Yeah, but I. So so what's that about? No, I believe you fill out a whole ballot. If you do not, then you don't. You lose the right to vote. That's, you know, that's the way they should do it. One year rule. What, who says that you have to vote for only ten players? If you legitimately think, and I doubt this would ever happen, if you think there are fourteen players on any ballot, just to throw a number out there. Again, I doubt this would ever happen. Right. But if you could find fourteen players that you think legitimately are Hall of Fame worthy and deserve to get in on the first ballot. Who's to say you can't vote for those fourteen players? I think I think happen. they only count ten. So I'm saying increase it. Make don't don't put a limit on ten if you're going to only allow them one one year. Right. On. Oh well, yeah. Okay, that's fine. I don't. Yeah, I don't care. They can vote for twenty. I don't. You know, if they want I to. Like, I just don't like the fact that. You know, they're going to try to find out who this one guy is, and they're going to shame him on, on social media. They're going to go after this guy, just like they went after the guy last year who, told, uh, who said he wasn't going to vote for Mariano, and then goes after them, and he had to change his mind. Well, so his his mistake was bragging about it in a column. That's what his so mistake Gary was. could congratulate this gentleman or woman, if it had, if whoever was the person that did not vote for Jeter. I thought that was the purpose of this was so Gary could have that person on. <laughs> My hero. <laughs> and by the way, uh, if you look at all these analytics and stuff, Jeff Kent is right up there with four Hall of Famers at second base. His numbers are just as good as if not better in some categories than four Hall of Fame second basemen, and yet what did he get, like 20%, 30%? And here's where I'm going to uh, disagree with my friend Gary. And you're right, his statistics 
would make the, you might say the Hall of Famer. But I don't know when I saw him play the eye. My eye test told me nah, he's not a Hall of Famer. I went by the eye test, not, okay. not the statistics. And that's fair. Uh, but we know the reason why he's not getting in is because the writers don't like him. He was not a nice guy, and he's not getting in for that reason. And the hypocrisy on the writers' part, because you cannot on one point say, well, this guy got in, look at his stats, look at his war, look at this, that, and everything else, and then go to a guy that Jeff Kent that's got better numbers than four Hall of Fame second basemen, and say he's not a Hall of Famer. I'm not voting for him. Uh, you know what I'm saying? You can't yeah, use uh, the stats he, one way and then not use them the other way because you don't like the guy. And and that takes away from the Hall of Fame. It just takes away. I'd rather see Jeff Kent in there. I think he was better than Scott Rowland. Scott Rowland, I, you know, I even asked Rich Baxter, my co-host on the new Baseball Talk radio show, uh, who saw a lot of Scott Rowland in, in Philadelphia when he was there, and he says he's not a Hall of Famer either. So, uh, you know, Kent had some good numbers, and, uh, uh, you know, offensively, and like you said, the, according to your eye test, he wasn't a Hall of Famer. But, you know, his defense was sucked. But his offense, he was as good, and he probably was as clutch as Jeter was. He just didn't uh, – he played with a number of teams. He was not a nice guy, and he didn't win as many championships. Right. If any. Right. All right, well – You know what? A lot, of, a lot of this – you're right. Jeter ended up on the Yankees, so maybe that helped him. Excuse me. But a lot of it is uh, your situation. I mean, maybe the fact that Kent played with Barry Bonds uh, helped his staff. Um, you never, you know, I mean, that could be, but, and the fact that he didn't play on the Yankees hurt his chances. I don't know, but uh, By I, the way, I, guess, actually, I, I think Jeff Kent is a hall of famer as well. Actually, I would have put him in, but I just want to throw this in there and Gary, especially you're going to love this because I just looked up <laughs> the respective wars of both Scott Rowland and Jeff Kent and Scott Rowland is about 15 points higher than Jeff Kent is. Like I said, war factors in defense a great deal. And we all saw Jeff Kent play, and his defense did leave something right. to be desired. Well, Scott Rowland's defense was, was terrific. Above average. Yeah, oh, yeah. Better than that. In my opinion, Jeff Kent should be getting a much higher percentage of the Hall of Fame vote than he does. And like you said, Gary, yeah, his offensive statistics for second baseman are as good as just about anyone that has ever played the game that name wasn't Rogers Hornsby. I personally don't think he's a Hall of Famer, but he's kind of on the line. I don't think Scott Rowan is a Hall of Famer. If I had to pick between the two, and I, and I had to put one of them in and not the other, I would probably put Jeff Kennan over Scott Rowan, but I don't think either one is. Again, very good players. Neither one of them, in my opinion, are worthy of the whole thing. But for Jeff Kent to be getting, what, 20 25% of the vote is ridiculous. Is uh, Carlos Beltran a Hall of Famer? Uh, you know what? Let me let me t- go first with this. He was always I, – I thought he was on, uh, on the border. 
I think this is really going to hurt his chances. Yeah, I think this whole cheating scandal is really going to uh, hurt his chances, just like the steroid guys. And this is just a bad look, and, you know, especially this last year. That's what people remember. They're going to go, oh, oh the coast ocean. Oh, wasn't he involved with the cheating? Mm. Well, and, it's, it's... Yeah, but it was no lock him to get in the first place. And I think this is going to just uh, be a, a, a big strike against him. Len? I never looked at Carlos Beltran and thought Hall of Fame. So if you say I test, I, I don't think so. He's in the Hall of Very Good, right on the border. Speak going either way, but you're absolutely right. This cheating scandal is definitely going to hurt. Now, in five years when he's eligible, or now it'll be four years, or whatever it is, no, two, two, three, two or three years. Yeah, so, and then he's going to be on the ballot for 10 years. Maybe another scandal comes up that wipes this one away. I don't know, but, right. you know, <laughs> but you're right. This is not going to help. If he goes in, right. I hope it's not with a Metcalf now, because you, know, you don't want that saying, uh, you know, and he cheated with the Astros. Let him have the Astros hat on. He'll probably go Catholic. He probably won't go in with a cap. Right. Right. But because he's played on so many teams. Um, he but, yeah, said, he, I don't. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer, but he's he close. said one Definitely at one close. time that he way. would go in as a uh, as a Met. I don't know how true that is. He, he's right on the line, but if he got in, I would not go crazy over it. But if he was kept out, which would most likely be because of this scandal, I would have no problem with that either. Like Mike Messina last year got in, I had no problem with that either. I, I clearly thought he was a borderline choice. As far as him going in as a Met, this is what's going to happen. If he gets in the Hall of Fame, he'll call the Yankees and he'll <laughs> offer them. He'll say, "Look, the Mets. I want the Mets say I could go in with their hat, but I really want to go in as a Yankee. So if you want me to, I'll go in as a Yankee." <laughs> and 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 for those who remember history, yeah. they'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Exactly. <laughs> now, let me ask a question. Doesn't the Hall of Fame have a say in this? And if they say there's too much history, negative history, whatever, he played for so many teams. And can they rule that a player can go in and, and not have a hat on? Yes. They, can they do that? Yeah, they can. They can. They they take the wishes from what I understand. They take the wishes of the player as as much as they can. If if they're adamant, then they'll go with the player. But they can uh, either overrule the player or they can at least work on him. That's why Carter went in as an expo, I think. And I think because his years with the Mets, it wasn't as long as the Mets as it was with the Montreal. And I think they wanted somebody from the expos in the Hall of Fame. Um, so, But I do believe that they can make the final decision if if – if a guy's played with a lot of teams and he says, oh, I don't really, you know, really identify with any one particular team, um, you know, they they can make the decision and it probably goes by length of service. So Yeah, uh, it, it's the, the Hall of Fame has the ultimate decision. They'll, they'll take the players, uh, you know, their, their wishes into consideration. But it all, it happened because Wade Boggs played two years in Tampa and wanted to go in as a, as a Tampa Bay Ray. Yeah. You know, yeah. they were going to pay him. So uh, the Baseball Hall of Fame that took that away from the players. Look, you know, you mentioned Gary Carter. He played, what, five seasons for the Mets? Yeah, yeah. Reggie Jackson played five seasons for the Yankees, and he went in as a Yankee. 
And he played more season than you know in in Oakland. But he won- but he he went in New York because he wanted to be a New York Yankee. And he and he. He he had the whole World Series to four home runs, and he had some yeah. he had some cachet as a Yankee. And let's face it, these guys, the Yankees, get an advantage. I I'm sorry, what you know, Yankee fans aren't going to like that, but they're probably not listening to the show anyway. But the <laughs> Yankee fans get an advantage. That's why Jeter got in this year with such a high vote. Um, I can almost assure you that if he played in another town, he would not be a first-year Hall of Famer. I just don't it. He because he was every it was every October, and if he played for a bad Yankee team, he probably well he might have gotten in, but he may not have gotten in the first year. It's because he was a Yankee and he hit. He was in the right place at the right time for all that string of championships and he was right in the middle of everything and he was the shortstop. Yeah. He was he, he was drafted fifth. That means four of the teams could have grabbed him and who knows how well history uh, would have changed now. He could have, he could have obviously signed the Yankees as a free agent later on, but you know, being a Yankee definitely had cachet and you know, being at the right, like you said, right place, right time. Mm-hmm. He, he would have been in the Hall of Fame, you know, maybe not with ninety nine point seven, but he might have gotten the first time. But it would not, that not have been at such a high focus. No. So Yankee fans, he's in. That's all. Just, just, just take that. Don't worry about num. See, we're too, we're too hung up on these damn stats again. I mean, years ago, you you really oh is he in? Yeah, he's in. We didn't care how much percentage points somebody got. It's just that you didn't even know who voted for who. But now in this day and age, everybody's gonna know who voted, who what what number, what who's he putting in. I, I don't really care. Just tell me who got in and who didn't get in. Now I have a question for you guys. MLB Network always has a camera on the guys that that get the phone call for the Hall of Fame. That they have to know ahead of time. I don't care. Brian Kenny could stand there and say, well, I don't even know what they're going to pick, so let's open the envelope. <laughs> I, they got to know. Cause do they have like 20 cameras at everybody that, that, that could go in? I mean, was there yeah, – right? Did they, was there a, a camera guy in, in Kurt Schilling's house? And when he don't get a call, the guy goes, oh, sorry. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, we're leaving. <laughs> I mean, See come on. <laughs> I, I, they have to know ahead of time. So, I mean, if if, if you watch that night and they go to the guys that the, they got the cameras on, you go, well, I guess those two guys are getting in, you know? Yeah, Larry Wolf was not a shoo-in, that's for sure. Right. Now, Larry Walker was a good, very good. I think he's a Hall of Famer. He was a good ball player, great defense. He was terrific in Montreal. Used to hate it. He was dominating. You hated to see him come up in the game, even more so when he went to Colorado. But he was dominating before he went to Colorado. And, you know, it's a shame that they get, uh, you know, guys are getting, you know, we talk about the, uh, the, the, the um the PEDs and everything, um guys that play in Colorado are getting the same kind of uh, 
a bad shift there because they're saying, oh, because of the air and everything. And it's hurting the guys like a, a Todd Helton. No, I, don't, I think he was injured too much. I don't see him as a Hall of Famer. Um, and the same thing, that's why I don't see Roland because to me, Roland is injured a lot, was injured a lot, I seem to recall. And, you Excellent know, point. I, I think that that has to be considered in, but there's no stat for that. So Brian Kenny couldn't tell you anything about it. Um, but um, I don't know. That's just, uh, that's my thought on it. And any, any closing thoughts by anyone? Well, yeah. Gary, I have a question for you. Let me throw this out here, Gary. Wait, Barry, can I just ask Gary a quick question? Because <laughs> I want to, Barry, I, I'm Gary. Yes. Uh, I want to know what hotel you made your reservations at for this summer's Hall of Fame induction ceremony in Cooperstown. I have not. I want to know where you're staying. I am <laughs> not. First off, I would not go. I, I love Cooperstown. It's a wonderful town. I would not go in the summertime. It's it's uh, crazy as all hell. The best time to go, I recommend anybody, is like uh, March or April. Or uh, November or something like that. In the off season, you get the Hall of Fame practically to yourself, and you can take the time if you go on that, especially that weekend. Uh, it is a madhouse, and you guys were up there in the off season, and you had practically the Hall of Fame to yourself, right? Oh yeah, we ran the place. Yeah, but Gary, then you're not going to see Jeter get inducted. I'm and not going to. I'm not even going to see that. I'm not even going to watch it on TV. No, <laughs> <laughs> no. If, if Gary was to go up there, the answer to your question would be wherever Brian Kenny is staying. <laughs> he would probably be rooming. No, I couldn't understand a word he said. <laughs> so. <laughs> Uh, All right. Understand it, Gary. That you're not going to ever have Brian Kenny as a guest <laughs> and, on this music. And no, 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 no. <laughs> All right, Barry. What did you want to chime in with? Uh, I, I just want to throw some history at you guys because in in, in my and and you as well retirement days, I have more free time than I used to, and since we're starting a new decade. I just thought it would be kind of interesting to go back to the last two decades and basically come up with an opinion that most of the teams in the major leagues are doomed before the beginning of the 2020 season for the rest of the decade. Because if you go by the last 10 years and the 10 years before that, more than half the teams in both those decades didn't make it to let alone, didn't even make it to let alone win the World Series in the 2000s. Only 14 of the 30 Major League teams got to the World Series. And in the 2010s, only 12 out of the 30 teams got there. And the Mets are actually one of only six teams to make the World Series in both decades. Unfortunately, they didn't win either of those World Series, but they are one of only six teams who have gotten there in both decades, the other five teams being the Cardinals, the Giants, the Red Sox, the Cheating Astros, and the Tigers, who, like the Mets, were the other team to not win either World Series that they participated in. So I guess my point is, being a fan of a, a major sports team, the odds are pretty much against you from the start. And as we start this 
new decade, we can only hope that the Mets at least get to a one or more World Series in this decade and actually win it this this time. Let's hope so. Guys, any closing thoughts? Leonard? Uh, Jeff, Lynn? Okay. Jeff, Jeff hey, you've given me the floor. Yeah, Gary, I just want to say I wish you well with your new uh, your new edition of your podcast with Rich Baxter. Thank wish you. Wish you well with that. Uh, I did hear your first episode. It was very good. Thank you. And thank you for having us on. Uh, it's always a pleasure. And uh, just let's go Mets. And thank you. I- I'm just going to say when anybody goes up to Cooperstown after the induction ceremony and, and you do go to the uh, gallery of all the plaques, you will see Derek Jeter's plaque right next to Mariano Rivera just to, uh, you know, that that's been announced. Um. <laughs> well, that's good. So if you want to urinate on it, it's easier. They're both together. <laughs> but again, I want to, uh, want to reflect what uh, my, my cohort here, uh, Len says, thank you for having us on. Always a pleasure. And, you know, keep the faith, stay optimistic. <laughs> and hopefully your listeners will listen to a baseball and barbecue yeah. as well. And, Gary, let me also thank you for having me on this roundtable. It's always fun to do it with you and with Glenn and with Jeff. I had a blast, as always. And, yes, your show with Rich Baxter is excellent. I did listen to it earlier today. And I will be at the Fan Fest in a couple of days. I'll let you know how how it goes. And I will also make another trip to spring training. It will be very, very interesting to see if Brody is as accessible this spring training as he was last year. It, it will be very interesting to find out. Now that he has a track record to see if he is open and as accessible as he was in the past. So, like like you say, I am, and as I often say, I am cautiously optimistic, but I will try to be a little more optimistic. Let's see how the beginning of the season goes. The Mets schedule for the first three, three and a half weeks is very tough. There's not a bad team on it, but we can only hope that the Mets do well, and uh, have a great season. So on that note, Gary, take it away. Okay. Uh, and the irony of this whole situation is they could have avoided all of this by not firing Mickey Calloway. And that's going to wrap it up for this week's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I want to thank my guests, Barry Newman and Jeff and Len from Baseball and Barbecue. Go check it out. They've got a new episode probably coming out in a week or so. Uh, but they've got some great episodes out now. Uh, the last one, I think the last one was with uh, uh, the an author who wrote a book about Luke Garrick's last days. Very interesting. Go check that out, Baseball and BBQ. And I want to thank you all for listening. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, CastBox, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hit the subscribe button. That helps me grow the show and expand to new listeners. And until next time, remember, keep the faith, stay optimistic, and let's go Go Mets. Mets. (laughs) I'll see you next time in another edition of Mets Musings.